Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon. This is 4S. I'm David Johnson. Let's get started. Why is it even important to praise God? Why is it important to give worship unto God? This is a question I have asked many Christians many times. I will probably have a few comments at the end of this sermon, so I am going to do this with limited interruptions. Let's go. And um, I chose... The book of Sam, 95. Okay, she keeps saying Sam, the book of Sam. This just may be the pronunciation from, you know, wherever she's native. I was thinking she was being cheeky in saying the book of Samuel, just calling it Sam for short. She's talking about Psalms. So don't don't go through this thing as long as I did thinking what what is she talking about it's psalms 1 to 11 I was just checking to see if I can read from here if you can see but I think you can <laughs> It looks bigger on the computer <laughs> Um if in case you're wondering why I chose Sam when we're talking about when the topic is praise and worship Sam is the book of songs and poetry, an expression of praise and worship and confession to God. As he is our creator, he's our redeemer, he's our sustainer. Now the book of Sam has different authors, but David, is one of the authors who wrote most of the books in Psalms. The book of Sam is so dynamic. It has true, authentic feelings expressed in it. Okay, I, I wanted to let this go, but I just couldn't. So uh, what she is saying is largely correct about the book of Psalms and its authorship. The fact is we don't know who wrote the book of Psalms. Uh, one of the things I read about the authorship of the book of Psalms is that it took place over the course of around 800 years. I don't know that that is true, but it would have taken place over a long period of time to be sure. And it's, people say that David wrote most of the books of Psalms because I think that they need David to have written the books of Psalms, but we actually have zero way of determining who wrote most of the books of Psalms, for that matter, who wrote any of the books of Psalms. And so, yeah, you can, you can ascribe any of them to David you want. Uh, I'm sure that uh, many of them were, what is the word, pseudo, pseudopigrapha, people who were writing 
saying that they were David, just kind of like in the New Testament, people writing letters of Paul in the name of Paul that that weren't actually Paul. You know, this probably happened at that time. But once again, this is so long ago, and the authorship so unknown. There's there's simply no way of knowing who wrote anything in the book of Psalms. And so if it makes you feel good or checks some kind of box of authenticity off your checkbox to say that David wrote most of the books of Psalms, knock yourself out. It's it's just not true by any means that we can validate. And no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, you will find a scripture in Sam that suits you. No matter if you're in a state of rejoicing, if you're in a state of sadness, if you're in a state of doubt, if you're in a state of confession, repentance, fears, praise and worship, you will find a book in sound, a scripture that suits you. Amen? It is the book of comfort. So I just want to piggyback onto that. Yes, no, no matter what state you are in, you will find something in Psalms that can comfort you if you read it devotionally. This is the key. You have to read Psalms devotionally, not critically. If you read the book of Psalms critically, you're going to find a lot of problems in the book of Psalms. But as long as you read it devotionally and you shut off your critical factors and you're reading it just for the emotion that the poetry uh, lends itself to, then uh, great. You're, you're probably reading it correctly. Uh, but just understand that I think this is true of pretty much everything in the Bible. If if uh, if you have a, a particular emotion that you need to feel, there are plenty of passages in the Bible that will help you with that, and you will draw great comfort from that. And that's fine if you're reading the Bible simply to draw some kind of poetic comfort from the words. It starts to go awry when you start trying to find critical truth in the Bible. Psalm 95 that I chose is actually said to be written by an anonymous author. But some people believe that David is the author due to um, a quotation in uh, Hebrews 4. I'd like to ask you all to stand up and just read with me and um, we'll come back to the scripture and I'll tell you why I chose this. We read together from one. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The great king above all gods. Does anyone else hear a, a hint of polytheism in that? Maybe henotheism in that? The sea is his, 
for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did at the Meribah, as you did that day at Mesa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Just, I can't help but observe it, but this psalm of comfort and joy and worship and praise uh, about uh, which many songs have been written, it ends on this really sour note of, yeah, but those people made me really mad. And if you really make make me really mad, then, you know, it's not going to go well for you. So don't make me mad. Don't piss me off. <laughs> this This note of warning at the end of this psalm, it almost seems out of place. I suspect we'll get to it later. Amen? Please be seated. Now, like I said, we'll come back to um, the reason why I chose that. We just had the praise and worship. We had a wonderful time of praise. Do you agree? Did you feel the spirit and the presence of God? What, what does that mean? Do you feel this... Spirit and presence of God. What does what does the Spirit feel like? Because I imagine that many of them felt some strong emotion. Okay, so how have we distinguished strong emotion from the Spirit? The presence of God. What does that feel like? How how do we tell that we're experiencing the presence of God, as opposed to just some strong emotion? Anybody? When we take time to praise God, when we take time to worship God, I'm telling you we're opening doors for blessings. Amen? What? Um, okay, once again, this is Christian, Christianese, and Christians don't even hear this. And some of us former Christians don't even hear this. But I just, I just want to point out the language being used. It's daffy. It's nonsense that when you praise God, you open the doors of blessings. What are the doors of blessings? And how tightly are they really clamped if you don't praise God? How much praise do you have to give? Is there an amount of praise before the doors open? If you praise more, do the doors open wider? What does this even mean? As we had the praise and worship, I was looking around even though I was in the front, but I could still turn around and see some of you. Some people were singing, some lifted their hands, some sang quietly, some danced, some stood still, some sang in tune, <laughs> others, no. 
why did they why are they putting the camera on this one lady right here i mean <laughs> i'm sure she did the best she could and some people observed others as they praised god but you know the good thing is that god welcomes it all you might ask yourself am i praising god the right way is this the right way to worship god you know, I'm not as vibrant as the sister next to me. I'm not as bold. My voice doesn't sound as good. I don't know how to dance. Is this the right way to praise God? I want to give you a good news this morning. As long as it comes from a place of truth and your spirit, you are praising God the right way. Okay, again, this is Christianese that we have to translate what does it mean that it comes from a place of truth I, I this is a genuine question so if someone on the board would like to go for that i would love to see this as the first comment on this thread what does it mean for praise to come from a place of truth yeah, I, I know the Bible verse, those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. I don't know what that means, though. What does it mean to worship in spirit? What does it mean to worship in truth? What, what would a lie of worship look like? I don't know the answer to that. Furthermore, I strongly question the premise that as long as you feel sincere about your worship, that God accepts it. Obviously, that wouldn't be true. There are plenty of people who felt sincere about child sacrifices. It, it, the Christian would be the first to say, ah, but God doesn't accept that. Uh, they might say, well, that's not worship in truth. Okay, well, it was true for those people. So who are you to judge their truth? What do, what do you mean by worship in truth? Does anyone remember Nadab and Abihu? Nadab and Abihu. All right, points will give two internet points to anyone who knows the reference Nadab and Abihu without looking it up. Okay, it's been a long time since I've looked it up. Uh, I believe that Nadab and Abihu were these two young priests who offered up strange fire to the Lord. Okay, this is a, kind of a weird episode in the Bible, but then again, there are a lot of really weird episodes in the Bible. And they offered up strange fires. We don't know the recipe of the right fire. You know, maybe they had to use particular matches. Maybe they had to use particular trees. Maybe they had to say a certain incantation. I have no idea what the right fires were. But they offered up strange fires. These were fires that were not particularly authorized. I don't think they thought they were doing anything particularly wrong by substituting something. And yet God rewarded them by striking them dead. Dead. This is the God about whom this woman says, accepts your worship as long as it comes from a place of truth and spirit. Someone please help me understand that. Amen. God looks at our hearts and our spirits. 
First of all, all this talk about praise, let's just look at some definitions of the word praise. Praise, actually in the Latin word, it means to value or price. And you find different terms in the Bible that are used to express praise. It can be glory, blessings, thanksgiving, like we just did here with Anne and Craig. Thanking God for keeping them together for all these years, and they're still going strong. Giving him thanksgiving. Hallelujah is also a word. Ravi <laughs> used to give praise. Amen? It is a word, praise, it expresses admiration. You admire, to approve, to give thanks and worship to God, to commend, to applaud, or to magnify. It is recognizing appreciating and expressing God's greatness that our minds cannot even comprehend. All right. Just curious. If our minds cannot comprehend God's if our minds cannot comprehend God's greatness, then what good is praise because it is by its very nature insufficient we don't even know what we're praising or how great the thing is we're praising and so um i'm not entirely sure why we would need to praise something beyond which our minds could comprehend it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You're praising something you don't understand because you don't comprehend it. And that thing that you don't understand, for whatever reason, wants this praise from inferior creatures. We are inferior creatures. God knows we can't understand him. What the heck does he want with our praise? Amen? Amen. It is total commitment of our mind our bodies, and our spirit. Total commitment. Okay. I did say limited interruptions. Um, total commitment. This is, I, I've been in discussion on the board. You can find me on the boards uh, a lot. I think my username is dnbj13. Um, you can find me on the boards. Wherever this is posted, I'm sure that you'll find some of my comments uh, there as the conversation goes on. But I've been on the boards engaged in a, a different topic from uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, I, I keep saying things like, okay, but how can you express complete devotion? I remember the conversation now. It was a conversation uh, about universalism. Hi, Brian with an I. And with a Y, for that matter. Um, universalism. And Brian with an I is a big proponent of hopeful universalism. There's been some comments about that. And I've always found that subject a little bit interesting and a little bit problematic. 
for Christians. By the way, I found it problematic when I was a Christian. And so when I expressed some of my problems with it, now these are some of the things that I found problematic with it uh, then as well. And uh, Brian with an I, please correct me if I have misrepresented anything that you've said. Uh, I humbly apologize in advance if I do. But uh, Brian was um, was kind of defending this idea of hopeful universalism. And I was saying, look, it seems like you shouldn't be worshiping a god at all if you can't say for sure, at least in your own heart, that he's not going to destroy almost everybody in some brand of hell. Because Brian was suggesting that he didn't know, he was he was expressing humility, he didn't know whether God would um, you know, save everyone or not, but he hoped that he would. And my point was, at least at that particular time, was if you don't know, if you don't have enough confidence to feel like you know that he wouldn't, then you shouldn't be hoping for universalism. You should be hoping for a better God. You should not devote yourself to that kind of God. And he retorted something to the effect, when did I say anything about, uh, you know, devoting one's life to a God? Brian, this is table stakes. <laughs> this is what the Christian is talking about. They are talking about devoting themselves 100% body and soul to this God. This is what this woman defines as worship. It is being all in. And you can't be all in with worship, but only kind of in for the sake of rhetorical security on a conversation on a discussion board. Brian's going to really give it to me <laughs> over this. <laughs> so uh, I deserve it. Come at me, bro. Um, I could take it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, look, Brian, I don't mean to talk behind your back or anything because you're not on the show. You have been invited. <laughs> so if I can provoke you <laughs> to coming on the show this way, I am happy to do it. But yes, this is the point I want to make is it doesn't matter what Christian you're listening to. What they mean when they're talking about this stuff is all in 100% total devotion to a God. That is table stakes. And there is no room for a conversation like this, in my opinion, where you use as an out, well, no one said anything about total devotion. Of course, of course you did. Because I said that you shouldn't worship a God that you're not sure wouldn't destroy everyone in hell. And if this particular preacher is right, then worship encompasses that 100% all-in total devotion. Okay, I think I've, I think I've laid down the gauntlet enough. This should be interesting. When you praise, you give it your everything. And it's usually, it consists of words, music, songs. And I just put um, two verses there that you can refer to. Um, and it explains what praise is. 
among many. Praise, praising God is not a religion. It's not a religion. It is not some kind of ritual that you just recite by heart. Okay, I've got to, I've got to pause here too. We're really going to get through this, okay? Um, just a quick note. Praising God is not a religion, and it's not uh, something that you recite by rote. I don't know where this is coming from. I think it's because religion has developed a bad name. So there are a lot of religious people who are pushing back on the idea that they are religious people. You've seen this. Christianity is not about religion. Well, yes, it literally is about religion. I mean, it's, it, it is a religion. Um, and so in, in their desire to separate themselves from some of the negative connotations that religion has received, some Christians will say, yeah, well, it's not about religion. And I would just say, yeah, it is. It, it absolutely is, and we can have that conversation, and you need to be a little bit more clear about what you're pushing back against. But it, it becomes kind of nonsensical when they say it's not about religion. Yes, it is about religion. Um, secondly, the idea that it's not worship is not just something uh, that's done by rote. Well, okay, tell that to the Jewish people whose worship was largely done by rote memorizing passages of scripture and then repeating them at certain times in, in rituals. Once again, rituals kind of part of the religion that I think people are pushing back on. But if you push back on religion and ritual and rote, you have neutered Judaism that on which Christianity is based. That's not praising God. That's just because you have a good memory. <laughs> Yeah, it is praising That's God. That's not praise. Yes, it is. Praise is a personal relationship. That's uh, again, what is a personal relationship? What does that mean? I have a personal relationship with my wife. I have a personal relationship with my mother. Uh, I have a personal relationship with uh, some friends of mine over the internet. I have a personal relationship with all kinds of people. I have a personal relationship with my, my doctor. I know what that means. Okay, and these are different kinds of relationships, different uh, levels of relationship. But they're relationships. I understand what they mean. I don't know what it means to have a personal relationship with a God that you cannot see, you cannot hear, you cannot talk to in a way that, you know, they talk back to in a way that you can distinguish their voice from your own imagination. I don't know what this means to have a personal relationship in this way. But Whatever it means, what do you do with all of the Christians? Forget about the ex-Christians. All of the Christians who say, I have never had any kind of internal communication with God. I've never had some kind of uh, internal witness of the Holy Spirit that uh, gives me some kind of justified true belief uh, that God is even there. These are. What does it mean to have a personal relationship if, if that's who you are? We've been hearing about in the series about why Jesus was upset. Because we are taking Christianity to a whole different place that it wasn't intended to be. It is supposed to be about a personal relationship that we have with God. Now that's praise. 
Let's look at worship. What is worship? Worship is to show profound religious devotion. Well, okay, there goes religion. It's not religion. Have an intense love and admiration. Intense love and admiration. You know, when you admire something, sometimes you find yourself, you find yourself on a whole different planet. And sometimes as people, we look at each other and we admire each other. I saw Anne was looking at Craig and she was just, ah. <laughs> she admired him. Worship, it is the action acknowledging the Lord. You acknowledge that God is God. You acknowledge that God is the only God, the only true God. You acknowledge his greatness. You acknowledge his power. You acknowledge the fact that he is the only one who has control of your life. Amen? Psalm 96, 9 says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Okay, I, I'm just too itchy. I've got to... Jump in on that, that last bit. Um, worship has nothing to do with acknowledging that some God is the only one in control of your life. This ignores the fact of polytheism. There are lots of people who worship many gods. And what she's saying is that worship, in fact, can only be true worship if you're monotheistic about it. That is simply not the case. And it just ignores um, probably half of all worshipers on planet Earth right now. Tremble before him all the earth. Now, if that is not admiration, I don't know what that is. Tremble before him. Okay. Trembling before God is not worship and it's not admiration it is abject terror when you worship god when we worship god it is not to benefit ourselves you don't worship god because you want to benefit yourself then your motives are wrong when you worship god it is to exalt him. It okay, I'm, I'm confused about this too. Uh, you know what I said about limited interruptions? Forget that. Um, you guys don't listen to this show for limited interruptions. <laughs> okay. Um, so, um, help me out here. I have heard, I know I have heard many preachers, possibly even myself, say that worship is not for God. It is for us. Because we have this need to worship. It is an internal need. And if we don't let it out, 
it's it, it's actually not healthy for us. But it, it's not for God because God doesn't need anything from us. God's not some kind of worship monster who, who uh, grows strong with your worship. He doesn't need your worship. He doesn't need anything from you. But it, it, it sounds like she said, no, 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 worship is not for yourself. If worship is for yourself, then it's, then it's the wrong motive. Worship is then for the benefit of God. And so God does need something from us, or he, he desperately wants something from us. And that brings me back to a question that I asked earlier. Why would such a great God want worship from, from creatures so lowly that we can't even understand what he is? It's for the benefit of God, not for ourselves. Now, sure, we do get blessings back. We do get benefits from God. But it is not to glorify ourselves. So, as you can see, praise and worship, you might wonder, but how come people always say praise and worship, they always go together? They go together like hand and glove. You cannot praise God if you can't worship him. You can't worship God if you can't praise him. You acknowledge, first of all, that he is God, and you stand in awe in his presence. You worship him. And then by knowing that, you give him thanksgiving for everything that you are going through in your life today, whether it's bad, whether it's good. Okay, I'm sorry. Why would I be giving thanksgiving for things that are going badly in my life? This is, this is once again, I, I, I want to just write this off as Christianese kind of gobbledygook where they say things that sound religious but don't mean anything. But I think Christians, some Christians actually feel this way. You know, if, if things are going rotten, I need to praise God and tell him that he's good all the time. This, this just sounds like Stockholm Syndrome. He has a purpose for your life. Amen. Does God have a purpose for your life? For, for someone who thinks that God has a purpose for your life, would you please tell me what that purpose is? Don't guess at it. Don't tell me what you feel like it. Tell me what the purpose for your life is that God has for you. Speaking of purpose, uh, Marvin has agreed, at least in principle, we haven't uh, set out any details yet, to debate me on the subject of purpose and meaning, that sort of thing. I'm looking forward to that. So Marvin, if that actually happens, then this is one of the things you can prepare for. I will ask you to tell me what your purpose is. And if you do not know your actual purpose, then I will question how you know you have one. Now, how do we praise and worship? How do we worship God? Worshiping God should be as simple as simple as living. It should be our lifestyle. It is being Christ-like. 
We worship God through our lives. We worship God by doing good for the person sitting next to you, doing good for our neighbors, doing good for other people we don't know, doing good even when we don't know why we're doing good. We worship God when we serve each other. Or we could just serve each other without worshiping God. Because plenty of us uh, have community-minded aspects about us, and we want to serve a, a greater purpose than our own aggrandizement. We want to do things that are socially beneficial. That doesn't mean we're worshiping God. So I'm, I'm not entirely sure why it's important that Christians conflate this. It, you, I, I suppose you could do good and dedicate it to God. That seems a little weird. Or you could just do good because you're a good human who wants to see good things happen for humanity and society at large. It's basically being Christ-like. Or human. What is being Christ-like? Now, let's look at some of the things that Christ did when he was among us as men. Christ brought people together. No, he didn't. Christ, by the way, stop calling him Christ. Jesus, his name wasn't Christ. And he was no Christ, certainly, when he was on earth. He wouldn't, no one considered him a Messiah. Very, you know, a handful, one or two. Jesus didn't bring people together. He said that I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. For the good. Christ prayed with us. He prayed for us. He listened. He encouraged us. He loved us. He was a great listener. In fact, uh, when one of his own disciples uh, was giving him some counsel. He said, get behind me, Satan. Really good listener, that one. He walked hand in hand with us. He did not walk hand in hand with anyone. Once again, this is just Christianese nonsense. What the heck are you talking about? Have you even read about the life of Jesus as presented in the Gospels? He wasn't that kind of hand-in-hand -hand walk with you all the way through your troubles, touchy-feely kind of guy. Show me an example where he did that. He interceded for us. Hmm. Christ was always there, even when we thought we were alone. No. What, where are you getting this from? He wasn't always there. He didn't stick around beyond about 30 years on this earth. What do you mean he was always there? He wasn't always there. He wasn't even always there for his disciples. When he sent his disciples out to minister to people and they would come back with a problem they couldn't deal with, you know, say a demon that Jesus didn't tell him anything about, he called them a wicked and perverse, faithless generation. What books are you reading where he was always there? That's being Christ-like. No, it's not. And as Christians, it should be our lifestyle to worship God, not only in church, but to worship God in how, what kind of a wife you are to your husband, 
worship God, and being a good colleague, be Christ-like. Or you could just be a good spouse and a good colleague. None of that has to be conflated with worshiping God. No matter what trials and tribulations Jesus went through, he remained a true worshiper. No, he didn't. He went ad hominem on the asses of people he didn't like. He went violent on the asses of people he didn't like. What the heck are you talking about? I'd like to encourage you all this morning that no matter the circumstances, always remain a true worshiper. And it should be a conscious, constant work in progress, process. You give praise, you thank God, you acknowledge Him by following His footsteps, being Christ-like. You worship. We should praise and worship God on purpose. It shouldn't be something that we schedule to do Sunday morning, 10.30 to 11. It should be on purpose, for a purpose. Okay. When you schedule time for worship, that is literally what it means to worship on purpose. What, what, are, you, what are you... I don't... What? Amen? What is the opposite of amen? No amen. No amen. And it's not only about singing. It's not about sounding good. It's not about looking good while you sing. It's not about going into a trance. You know, sometimes we all do it. When we praise and worship, oh, you feel like you're right there with Christ. Right? No. No amen. No amen. Sometimes we go into a trance. But that's not, the, that's not what praise and worship is about. It's not about a kind of style of music. The style of music only says something about you and your preference. It's not about what God likes. God accepts praise and worship when it comes from a genuine and true spirit. The fact that you like ragged praise, I praise you, man. You know, my Lord, oh, no. the Jesus, my Lord. It doesn't mean anything to God. But no. if you say, I praise you, man, and it comes from here, God will, <laughs> he will. If you like a techno praise, He's gonna take it. Just please, where's the fast forward? I can't. Jesus will accept it as long as it's coming from. So sometimes we have this way of saying that I only praise and worship as Hillsong does. (laughs) That's true praise and worship. And God is looking at you. First of all, where is that coming from? Who says that? Is it coming from an honest place? I don't think anyone's ever said that. We also need to remember to ask God, when you worship God, it's time for you to listen. God, what are you trying to say to me now? 
We lift him up. We're talking to God. We're telling you, God, you're so great. We, we thank you for everything. That okay, are we talking to God and telling him stuff or are we listening? You say it's time for you to listen. And, and then and now you're dancing and telling God stuff. How exactly do you listen to God? Tell me a little bit more about that part. Flesh it out. What exactly are you listening for? What kind of messages does God give you when you're praising? Or is this just more Christianese nonsense? You're doing. We thank you, God, for being the God that you are. And when we worship, we need to be able to listen. What do you want me to do? God, when I go to work today, how, how can I worship you? D does God communicate these kinds of messages when you're praising him? Any former Christians out there, did you have this experience of God communicating these things to you while you're praising him? Um, in current Christians, what, how does this work? Someone tell me more. What can I do? How can I make you proud? Why are we trying to make God proud? Is that, is that right? Is that, is that what we're supposed to be doing? Making, making God proud? Why isn't he proud of us now? Look at where we came from. We're doing pretty good. What do we have to do to make this guy proud? We don't even understand him. What are you saying to me, God? One of the most famous and common Sam is Psalm 150. It says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything, as long as you have breath, you should be praising God. For every second that you have. If our thoughts are on God, we're inspired to praise him. If we have our thoughts on God, he's in our mind, he's in our soul, he's in our spirit. You're automatically inspired to praise him. Amen? No amen. No amen. And like I said before, worship is not to benefit you. Who are we trying to, who, who is it to benefit? Who do we want to benefit? It's God. How do we benefit God? So if you come to church, if you're one of those people who come to church and say, oh, today I got nothing out of the praise and worship. I got nothing out of the sermon. I got nothing out of the service. You are worshiping for the wrong reasons. Because it should be in you. It's not about where you are. It's not about what songs you sing. You should be able to take any kind of song and praise God with that. So if you come to church and say, Psst, I didn't get anything out of it. If you're here today, you're in church, and your mind is still on your problems that you have, you're worshiping for the, for the wrong reasons. If you come to church today, Wait a minute. All right, I'm trying to process this. You come to church, your mind is still on the problems that you're having, then you're worshiping for the wrong reason. What? Of course your mind's on the problems that you're having. You're having problems. You're going through a divorce or about to. Your kid's sick. 
uh, in the hospital. And honestly, you shouldn't be at church <laughs> anyway when your kid's sick in the hospital. Um, your kid's flunking out of school. Any, uh, your finances are are topsy-turvy, and uh, you don't know where rent is coming from. You know it's not coming from the church. So, you're, of course, your mind is going to be on that. And so that somehow negates your worship. You're worshiping for the wrong reasons. What? Huh? And your mind is still on your sickness. You are worshiping for the wrong reason. What are you talking because about? Because if, if we are true worshipers, we should know that we shouldn't worry. Oh, oh, I get it. Here, let me try. Don't worry, be happy. I know it's easily said than done. I'm really sorry about that, folks. That's why we need God. I'm, I'm not editing that out. <laughs> Hallelujah. We must be able, in order to be a true worshiper, we must be able to repent. Humble ourselves. Submit ourselves. We need to be able to stand in awe of God. Well, I don't. True worshiper. It should be. A I mean, stand in awe in God. What does that mean? You've you've not seen Him. His, his grandeur, His majesty. I mean, all you can do is listen to the stories, try to convince yourself that you believe them, and try to work yourself up into some sense of awe. You know when you feel a sense of awe when you're standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and you feel a strong wind about to push you over. Now you've got a sense of real awe there. You can't manufacture that. Even if you believe in a creator God, that's not something that you can just manufacture. Time to speak and a time to listen and a time to go out there and do as you're told. Amen. Um, it's not about where you are. It's not about meeting up in ISIS in Fallenskirke, Ruysgel, number 68, every Sunday morning to praise and worship God. That's the time that you set aside to worship God. When Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he was thirsty. And the lady said to him that our place of worship is on a mountain. It's not in Jerusalem as you Jews say it is. And Jesus said to the lady, he said, believe me, a time will come when you will worship the Father, neither on the mountain nor in Jerusalem. He said the time has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Again, waiting for someone to give me a practical explanation of what the heck that means. Amen? No amen. No amen. No amen. He said, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is a spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit. What does it mean that God is a spirit? And, and how do you connect that with, therefore, you must worship in spirit? So anybody. It's not about the place. It's good for us to meet together like this. It's good because we encourage each other. We are one body. 
we need to be collected together. But you should be able to praise and worship God wherever you are. Amen? No, amen. No, amen. It doesn't matter who the worship leader is, whether it's Tamomi or Grace or Andy or Sam. It shouldn't matter. Through praise and worship, our hearts are raised into such a joyous presence of God like we experienced today. Please don't let it end here. After 12 o'clock, after you've had the beautiful refreshment, don't let it end here. Hallelujah. Because through that, we give God the opportunity to operate through our lives and our circumstances. Now to conclude, um, I said I was going to go back to the scripture because and why I chose that particular scripture, which is from an anonymous author. I have a way of looking at things. I am very creative in my way of thinking and artistic in my way of thinking. So I looked at it and I just saw something. It just spoke to me. And I said artistic, not autistic. <laughs> so I want to take you guys back to... Um... All right. So I want you, first of all, I want us to look at verse 1 and 2. It says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Come, let us sing. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Now, did you feel that we praised God this morning when we had our praise and worship team? Those two verses, that's praise. And we read from verse 3 to 7. It says, for the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belongs to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pastures, for the, the flock under his care. That is worship. You acknowledge who he is. Now let's read from 8 to 11. It says, Do not harden your hearts as you did at the Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, They are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought we were going to get back to this part of the passage. Yeah. For 40 years, God was angry with these people. I mean, he was pissed off and he held a grudge. It sounds very human. Her God 
sounds very human. The God of the Bible sounds very human. He gets pissed off and he, he holds superhuman grudges. And because they did something that pissed him off, he would never, he, he made a vow. I swear on my own self, I will never let them enter my rest. Make sure you don't get on my bad side, too. In that verse, what I got from, that, from those um, verses, when we rebel, now this is referred to the people of Israel, but when we rebel against God, when we fail to praise Him, when we fail to worship Him, we rebel against Him. Okay, it is rebellion when you fail to praise Him, when you fail to worship Him. Hey, Sarah, you, uh, you used to talk about your worship experiences, uh, and you had many worship experiences, uh, I think, that were similar to mine, where you were thinking, oh, God, when is this going to be over? This is terrible. The singing is terrible. I don't like any of this music. I don't feel good, and this is awful. Why are we doing this? Can we please just make it stop? You were failing to worship God. He might be holding a 40-year grudge on you. I suspect the grudge he has for me will last even longer. And it brings on his wrath. His wrath. In fact, to the third, even the fourth generation, if I can get all Old Testament on your ass. Onto us. I looked at that. I said, wow. This is the scripture I'm choosing for Sunday. It has everything. It has the praise, it has the worship, and it has the warning. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, this is this is the one. It's got everything. It it's got praise and worship and warning and threat. In terror from this angry, angry God. Amen? Amen. Now let's continue with the conclusion. Praise should be our lifestyle. We should try, strive to be Christ-like. How can we truly worship God whom we can't see and yet the person sitting next to you maybe does not even exist for you? You can't even give a simple word of encouragement. Say, my sister, how come you look so sad this morning? If you can't see the people that God put right there in front of you, how can you worship God in truth whom you can't see? Amen? Be an encourager. Okay. All right. This sermon, um, not one of the great sermons that we're ever going to take apart. It's a little bit disjointed, a little bit hard to follow. You can see some of the audience shots. They were having a hard time following it. 
they were having a hard time staying awake through it, dare I say. Their worship may have angered God <laughs> here. But um, I did promise a few words after this sermon. And the thought that I wanted to open up and hopefully have some discussion around is just the nature of worship itself. It is something like love that cannot be commanded. And yet the Bible commands it. God commands it. I would argue that any worship that is commanded is no worship at all. The moment you declare that you won't worship, you ensure that you can never get it in truth. You, you can never get it from that point on. So um, think of it this way. I've been to um, some, some sports events, uh, in, uh, professional baseball, uh, college football, professional football. These are, these are great live events, uh, professional basketball. Uh, that's, that's a lot of fun too. These, these live sports, a lot of fun. If you've ever been to one, you know, soccer, what, whatever it is, you know, the kind of electricity that's in the atmosphere. And I liken praise to something like that atmosphere. It is the thing that comes roaring out of your chest, out of your belly, <laughs> that you didn't see coming. I mean, when you were there, you did not know that you would be yelling at the top of your lungs and dancing on the head of the person <laughs> in front of you. you. You had no idea that that was going to happen. But there it is. Uh, and you become a part of the screaming masses of people doing the wave. And, you know, I'm a fairly reserved guy. But, you know, you, you get in that atmosphere and your team scores and it's a really close game and the spirit is upon you. You can really feel the presence of the spirit upon you and what you do and say at an event like that should never be held against you in a court of law. It just shouldn't because you are not fully in control of your faculties at that, at that particular moment. You just aren't. So, and, and then you throw some alcohol on top of that and then it's just nuts. I don't drink. So I honestly, I don't, who needs the alcohol when you're at a football game? It's a, what an, what an environment it is. Even a bad football game is fun to be at. So that's praise. No one, no one has to tell you to do it. No one has to instruct you to cheer. No one is running around with signs saying, cheer now. It's not, it's not necessary. There, there are cheerleaders. They're not necessary. <laughs> They're not necessary. You don't need them. When you're at the game, you're not looking at the cheerleaders anyway. You're looking at the game. And, and when something happens in the game that is stirring, you are going to cheer. I don't really care how reserved you are. This is praise. No one has to tell you 
to do it or how to do it or any such thing. You just do it because you must. That's praise. It is that which you do, this, this emotional eruption that comes out because it must. And at bottom, there's nothing else underneath it. There, there is no reason, you know, as in reasoning, there's no logic. There's no apologetics, okay? There's no doctrine. There's no religion under it. It, it is just that which must happen because it must. Okay, it's a brute fact. Whenever I hear preachers talking about praise and worship, they are, they are missing the brute fact of it. If people truly are in the presence of God, they're going to fall on their face and worship. You never have to preach a single sermon about praise and worship. And yet, go through the catalog of sermons that you've ever heard in your life and go through the catalog of sermons that you can find on YouTube and see how many of them feature praise and worship as an instruction, as a sermon topic. If your church is such that you need to preach on praise and worship, I assure you, you're not getting it. They're not doing it. They're not going to do it after you're done preaching. In fact, they're going to do it even less than what they were now. Because if you're not getting genuine praise and worship because people are actually in the presence of God, then there is nothing that you can say or do to make them think they're more in the presence of God. They either are or they aren't. They either feel it or they don't. They either worship or they don't. And I think that all sermons on praise and worship, even the ones that I preached, are ultimately counterproductive. They're ultimately unnecessary. Worshippers will worship when they have something to worship, and they will not worship when they don't. Okay, I think that's going to do it this week. We took a little bit of time off for... Well, actually, we didn't take time off for the holidays. We just took uh, some time off for sanity. So you should start seeing more 4S shows coming along on a weekly basis. We're going to continue our break for Red Letters. Red Letters will be coming back bigger and better than ever, I hope. With Season 2, I've been working on uh, the write-ups, and uh, it's looking real good right now. I can't wait to start releasing some of that. So Red Letters will come back after the holidays. And for now, we will see you next time. Bye-bye.